Welcome to the Anniversary Brothers podcast, where we talk about the anniversaries of your favorite TV shows and movies. I'm your host, Aaron Sarnecki, and joining me, as always, is the uh, the Jimmy Olsen to my Superman, uh, you know, my, my, my best pal, uh, Josh Sarnecki, my brother. Does that mean I'm going to die in the sequel? Ooh, we will get to that, but... Um... Yeah, so uh, we are talking about Man of Steel for its 10th anniversary, but considering this is such a hotly debated movie, and we uh, we do love a good hot take, um, we are welcoming uh, onto the program, uh, you know him as the host of the Batman by the Numbers podcast, he is the Dan of Steel, Daniel Cohen. Aaron, Josh, I am very excited to be here talking Man of Steel as I just finished my Dunkin' Donuts coffee sitting here in my chair from <laughs> Staples as I talk into my blue microphone and record into my HP computer off of Skype. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second to realize what he was doing there. Yes, thank you, Dan. I, I, uh, When I uh, was planning this out, honestly, like half a, you know, half a year ago, and I was telling Josh, I said, Ooh, you know, Man of Steel next year. I really want to get Dan for this. <laughs> so uh, I just can't believe this movie's ten years old. Yeah, that's what I can't believe. Yeah, we will we will get into that. Um, but Dan, you know, uh, you know, welcome to the show. You um, you are uh, you know join a rogues gallery of esteemed guests. Uh, just last uh, month we had a uh, Bill, the uh, editor in chief of the Pop Break. He came on to talk about the thirtieth uh, anniversary of. The first Jurassic Park, which talk, talk about not a, like, not a divisive movie, not like a this divisive one. movie at all. The only no. sequels. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I will just echo what Aaron said. Uh, we are really excited to have you on, Dan. We have uh, definitely heard many of your podcast with Bill, including your podcast with him on uh, Batman v Superman and the Suicide Squad. So have a a long history of hearing your takes on the dceu so excited to have you here right well i i say this all the time but like i'm guessing like every single podcast that i ever record i am sure bvs will come up at some point during this conversation right right. Right, josh so i'm gonna tell josh to dan is our guest so so be you know be kind i mean if you have a disagreement you know you can voice your disagreement but you know you're talking to me, not Bill. If, if this was Bill, that's a different story. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, but we, this time we were talking about Man of Steel. Uh, so 10 years ago, um, Josh, uh, I want to go to you first. Do you remember where you were when you saw this movie? And, and if you answer correctly, then you'll answer where I was as well. OK, yes, I distinctly remember seeing this at, I believe, a midnight showing yeah. in Delaware. Um I remember also they had like a raffle going on where you could win posters. And I got a giant uh, Bane uh, oh, cut stand up. Yeah, stand up from um, the promotion for The Dark Knight Rises. And so that was hanging out in my apartment all of my senior year, which was fun and probably scared the neighbors as they walked by my apartment. Um, yeah. So we saw it there in Delaware. And 
<laughs> we saw it with my friend Jess, who fell asleep during the movie. Wait, we saw it with her? I remember yeah. seeing it with another friend. But... No, Jess came, she fell asleep. Okay. Uh, to be fair, it was a midnight showing. Okay. But, yes. Um, yeah, I can't speak to... I could have sworn we saw it with another friend. Maybe, you know... I, I thought... It, either way. Um, yes, you, that, Josh is absolutely correct. I forgot about the band, uh, the Bane stand-up, which is a fun uh, story. Um, and it's, it's funny because um, I think that was around the time maybe like a year after they kind of stopped doing midnight openings for movies they started to be like oh well we can make more money if we just do a late showing on thursday hey rises might have been the last midnight showing that i ever went to yeah so yeah the, um we we did that for the dark knight rises we went up um i think that was before there was an imax screen um where we lived we we went up to pa to see that um, and then, yeah, we saw this at the, the local theater. So, yeah, I, I just want to say that is such a um, being the first, you know, in your town to see a movie, I feel like is a a, a special experience that unfortunately is is kind of lost to time, even though it hasn't been that long. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. You I mean, you, you still can have like the early release right. on Thursday, right. but, but like staying up, like especially like this movie which plus, you know, is almost two and a half hours, plus the trailers. Like, you're probably not getting home until three. Oh, yeah. No way. Yeah. And then you have to, like, get the smell of popcorn off you before you go to sleep. It's too much work. Just stay up all night. Right. So, Dan, um, I'm assuming that you hyped for this movie um, when, you know, it was coming out. Where did you see it? Do you remember? Yep, I was still uh, I was still living in Massachusetts, and oh man, it might have been one of the last movies I saw before I moved back to Los Angeles. Uh, and I was I was hyped as hell. I mean, I was ready for this to be the next big superhero thing after the Dark Knight trilogy ended. The trailers were spectacular. I like what Zack Snyder did with Watchmen. Obviously, Nolan as producer had me ecstatic. The cast was an embarrassment of riches. Um, you know, look, Superman was always my second favorite superhero. And so and I still had a bad taste in my mouth from Superman Returns. And this movie looked to be everything that wasn't. And when I went to see it, it's one of the rare movies that lived up to what I hyped up in my head. I remember leaving the theater saying that's exactly what I expected. Just complete satisfaction from a movie. Um, it didn't take long, though, as we went from pure enjoyment of this movie to the discourse, which is. Unlike anything I've ever experienced from a movie, this is really the first instance where I think we all realize that this little thing called Rotten Tomatoes mattered. Because I just from what I feel like I remember, I feel like this movie was on track to obliterate the box office. Uh, but I think people saw that Rotten Tomato score and said, oh, this is just another bad superhero movie, a bad Superman movie. And so they're like. There isn't a Rotten Tomato score that is more emblematic of a movie than Man of Steel. It's 56 percent. The last time I checked, it is a true, honest divide. And I that's kind of what this movie's legacy is. It's it's a movie where I really feel like the culture of film, in particular superhero movies, shifted to this like standpoint where you can no longer have an in the middle opinion. It's got to be a 10 or a one. And that's it. And I just I really feel like that that discourse started with Man of Steel, in my opinion. So it's a mm-hmm. I, just for me, like it's an important movie on many levels, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Right. Right. I think you bring up some good points. Um, uh, definitely. Uh, Josh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about, obviously, you know, for the rest of the podcast, how we feel now. 
Um, I can speak for myself that um, I uh, left the theater being very happy with, you know, what I saw um, and uh, being like, I'm glad that I stayed up, you know, past midnight to watch this movie. Um, did did you feel similarly? I think you did. I think you, uh, I remember you posting on Facebook that Man of Steel knocked your socks off. Oh, did I? I don't yeah. even remember that. I do recall that I, I was actually coming in on the, the other side of the spectrum where, uh, Dan, unlike you, I really enjoyed Superman Returns. I am right, see, probably... Josh has his own controversial... No, no, I know. There's a lot of Superman Return defense. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. I, I feel like I was one of the only ones I knew, though, so whenever I told anyone, it's like, oh, yeah, I love that movie, I would always just get weird looks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came into Man of Steel with that, um, you know, being, for me, the best um, modern, you know, Superman movie. Uh, and then... I, I saw this and yeah, at the time I was like, yeah, this is this is better than Superman Returns, and and for me that was a high bar. Um, I think at the time I I went as far to say like it was the best Superman movie, which uh, was probably you know definitely controversial at the time, uh, just given the comparisons between Christopher Reeve Superman. But that's how I felt. Since then, we'll we'll get into right, how my right. opinions changed. Right. Um, but be, before we do that, I just want to remind everybody um, that we have a whole network of podcasts uh, that you can listen to. Uh, like we mentioned, you have the uh, Batman by the Numbers podcast. You have the Socially Distanced podcast. Um, so why don't you just take a listen? Uh, there will be an ad for some of our sister podcasts, and you'll uh, come back and listen to us right after this break. Hello, I'm Daniel Cohen, former film editor of ThePopBreak.com, and I've got a Batman podcast for you. We discuss Batman's past, present, and future, and do a lot of rankings episodes. Yes, we rank the movies, villains, but that's not all. We even rank all the Batman movie trailers throughout history. Yes, we rank Batman trailers. I dare you to find another Batman podcast that did that. So join me and frequent hosts Alex Marcus and Bill Bakken, as well as a plethora of bat guests as we discuss Batman and plenty of DC on film as well. Also, fair warning, I'm a BBS fan, but don't let that scare you away. Trust me, I get mocked and ridiculed more than the Martha line for taking that stance. So relax and tune in on the last Tuesday of every month on the Pop Break Today feed. Hi, I'm Alex Marcus, podcasting director for ThePopBreak.com. I'm Bill Bodkin, Pop Break's editor-in-chief. And I'm TV columnist Josh Sarnecki. And together, we host TV Break! Whether you are looking for a free-willing discussion on the latest Disney Plus release, an update on the latest season of Bake Off, or what's happening in the tumultuous world of streaming, Stop on by the Pop Break TV podcast feed on the first Monday of every month to join in on the fun. Josh, you can get a second line. I'm sorry, Josh. Hey, it's Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. Join myself, Amanda Rivas, Al Manorino, and a cavalcade of awesome guests on the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. 
And it's Amanda Rivas. If you're a pop culture obsessed nerd like we are, then you need to make socially distanced an integral part of your life. We talk all the things, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, everything on Disney Plus pretty much, as well as the hottest trending shows and news in the world of pop culture. This is definitely Al Manorino and not Bill Bodkin. So listen to the Socially Distanced podcast every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so we can eventually get Disney Plus to give us advertising money. Please, we could use the money. I, I have children. And we are back. I hope that you enjoyed, you know, the ad, which is, you know, what I know you're listening for, just like anybody who watches TV is obviously watching for the commercials. Yeah, who doesn't love a good intermission? Right, right. I, um, but uh, as we were just talking about, so we were all, you know, high on Man of Steel uh, when it first came out. Um, I think, you know, we already have a, a pretty good indication, Dan, you uh, still really, you know, love this movie. Absolutely. This is it's 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 in my top 10 favorite superhero movies. I really I, I think it's an incredible epic film. I really mm -hmm. do like it. And mm -hmm. it was I you know, and it's actually funny. I hadn't read a little while. And so I'm glad you got me on this podcast. Now, I was going to rewatch it anyway, going into The Flash. Um, cause I feel like I kind of have to, but, um, I had not revisited this in like probably like a couple of years. And so, you know, there's always a, I'm always like a little bit nervous. Like, am I still going to feel the same way? And I did there. I will say like, I mean, you know, some of the criticisms at the time, like, which I thought were overblown, I will admit, like, I, I can see more of the criticisms now, but despite mm -hmm. all that, I still really like it. Right. Right. So, uh, for me, um, I go, I still um, when, when this this movie would be on TV every once in a while and it would be like always like, yeah, watch this because um, I, I again, like you would heard other people's criticisms, but I couldn't stop being uh, entertained, particularly by a lot of the action sequences. Um, uh, and uh, but, yeah, it'd been a, 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 it'd been several years since I had watched this, you know, um, we had shown this to our parents when um, we got this as a, a gift for Christmas. And um, I remember now preface this with my dad is very hard to please when it comes to any sort of entertainment. So, you know, he said, oh, that's different. I said, oh, but it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> of, cor of course, you know, unless a movie has, you know, his favorite, you know, star Dwayne Johnson in it, then he won't. <laughs> And of course, unfortunately, he will not be fighting Superman anymore. Um, but yeah, um, I I'm a little lower on this movie, you know, having rewatched it. But um, I know I still think that it's better than a lot of people give it credit for. Hmm. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I've gone on such a journey with this movie because I was so high on it the first time I saw it. And after that, I really did go to the, the Marvel side of the force. Uh, apologies, yeah, yeah. Dan. But uh, and, and with that and just hearing all the criticism, like my opinion, of this movie just really just tanked like over the years and then coming back to it now is like, oh, gosh, like, what am I getting into? And. I was surprised because 
I didn't find myself hating it the way I was expecting to. Um, I didn't love it like the way I had originally, but I was like, okay, no, this is this is a good movie, and people are coming in with a lot of hot takes, I think, based off of their interpretations of the character. And so this is very much a movie where you may not like the choices they made, and I don't like some of them, but it's very much the movie where if you just tore this away from the existing franchise and IP, then I think most of the people's problems with this movie wouldn't exist anymore. I think just because we all have these preconceived notions of like what Superman is or is not, mm-hmm. that really colored people's perception. I mean, look, I, John, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, it's, you know, for me, like, one of the biggest reasons why this movie was divisive back in 2013 and why it is still divisive today is the characterization of Superman. People were conditioned to Superman being just, you know, the ultimate good guy no matter what. You know, it's the he's the Christopher Reeve Superman. And, you know, like, once he learns who he is, he's just going to fly off and be a superhero and smile and save cats from trees. And that's it. That's the character. He's never going to get angry. He's a flawless character. You know, you know, hurrah. Um, look, here's the thing. They did that already. They can't just do that again. And look, I and I say that I really do love that first Superman movie. Like, don't from 1978. Don't get me wrong. And obviously, Christopher Reeve gives a spectacular performance as that character. And it was the perfect movie for that time. But I'm sorry, and I know people get bent out of shape about this, but like you can't you can't just do the same interpretation. Like you've got to, you know, reimagine the character a little bit. I think that's why Batman has had so many successful um, interpretations is because they keep tweaking him and they keep redesigning him and they keep, you know, doing new takes on him. Um, And guess what? They tried to go back to the well with that same Superman. And I know and don't get me wrong. I know people like Superman Returns as you do, Josh, but it didn't it really didn't do very well. um, If I recall, I don't I don't think it did very well at the box office at all. Um, And so, look, here's the thing. Like, for me, this movie works because I I just think that David Goyer, Zack Snyder, Christopher Nolan and Henry Cavill, they all commit 100 percent to what the theme and idea of this movie is. They were very earnest about it. You know, like what if Superman actually happened and how would people react to that? And how would Clark Kent himself handle being the most important figure in human history? That's the movie. And that's what they commit to. That's why it works. And that's what I think Henry Cavill embodies here. You know, he's not the G golly whiz. And, you know, I love the approach of his arc. You know, he finds out who he is and then he really considers, okay, what does that mean now? You know, what am I supposed to do with this? What if I'm rejected? What does that mean for the world? Now, as storytelling often does, he's thrust into a decision by Zod, you know, raising the stakes of the story. But as his father says, Jonathan Kent, you know, he's able to bear the weight of this because he asks those questions. And that's what his father was trying to impart on him. And now, look, and I I get it. And I do I do really get it. Like, I think that's where people get very upset with this movie. And as time has gone on, I do understand that frustration more from diehard Superman fans. I really do. You just want Superman to be Superman. I get it. You just want to see him saving people from a bus when it crashes over a bridge, right? You don't want to get the 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 infamous Jonathan Kent line, like you know, what what would I what should I have done? You know, let them fall. And Jonathan Kent famously says, maybe, like you know, you don't want to think about that. You don't want to think about that stuff. You know, being in a Superman movie, you don't want to think about there being more stakes. There are more stakes in this world than just saving people from a bus. You know, you just want to just see Superman saving the people from the bus, and that's it. So again. Like, I I admire the balls on this movie for approaching the character and the mythology that way. You know, this isn't Jonathan and Clark Kent just being, you know, the all-knowing heroes and having all the answers. This is Jonathan Kent saying, like, 
holy crap, my son can throw trucks into the air. Like, what the hell does that mean? What do I even do here? What does this mean for humanity? I mean, they're asking big questions. Um, and there's something scary about that. And that's what the movie wants to confront. And I think it confronts it very well. Now, obviously, I think Zack, Zack Snyder handles it pretty well. But look, there's no question like the Nolan influence helps here, um, you know, which I think is why something like BVS, even though I'm, I defend it, I think suffers a little bit from it. But but again, so that's that's why I admire about this movie. I think it's willing to ask those questions and really shake your, you know, kind of like characterization of Superman. But over the years, like. I also do see the other side and I, I completely understand the frustration that people do have with like, can he just be Superman? I get it. No. Right. I think Dan, you, you both bring up really good uh, points. Um, with this movie, I remember that um, when they were talking about rebooting Superman, you know, cause they really hadn't rebooted him with, you know, uh, Superman, Superman returns. returns. Um, they were like, well, we have to bring, um, Superman in today's landscape, you know, you know, people are more cynical, you know, this is a post 9-11 landscape, the way that, you know, people felt that the Dark Knight handled that really well. Um, I, um, and, and actually, you know, at the time, people being like looking at that, that scene in the trailer where Jonathan Kent says, yeah, maybe you should have let all those kids on the bus die. Um, being like, this is an interesting take on Superman. Let's see where this goes. And then when the movie came out, people were like, I don't like this. It's, it's right. funny, though, because um, when you look at the 1978 Superman, if you look at the movies right up until like a year before um, that movie came out, you were coming um, through a very cynical um, time um, in movies, like the new Hollywood uh, era where usually like movies had like um, ambiguous hero, like ambiguously uh, moral characters. Um, there's a lot of cynicism uh, on, you know, like, um, like what is, you know, America's place in the world and stuff like that. Um, then you had, you know, movies like um, Star Wars and Superman that kind of, pushed back that romanticism that had been lost um, in movies for the past, you know, decade or more. And people welcomed it. And, you know, when we got into the 80s, we now had superhero blockbusters, which, well, not so not as many as we do today. But I mean, it, that just saying that we it's interesting that two cynical times, one time the optimistic movie was um, was accepted, and then the other cynical time when they made a more realistic movie, it was rejected. So I don't know. Um, well, people... no, I think I I think you pick up a lot of interesting points because I'll say this: I think one of the other reasons why this movie didn't hit, and this movie like it wasn't a flop or anything, but like it way underperformed what they wanted. I mean. Um, I think I was just I was just checking the box office earlier, like, you know, just over 290 million domestically, just under 670 million worldwide. It's not what they wanted. Not a flop, but not great. Um, but mm -hmm. I think like one of the things you bring up is I also think the kind of like the somewhat failure of this movie is just it was bad timing. And I'd be curious, you know, mm -hmm. to see what you guys think about this. But like, I I really think that when you look at 
the history of superhero movies. I, I, I talked about this a while back on a socially distanced podcast um, when James Gunn was hired for DC um, that, you know, you had the Dark Knight in 08. And I think that people were really ready to, you know, go into these very serious, earnest kind of superhero movies, like not not shared universes, like kind of contain their bubbles. Um, but then what happened in 2012, there was a little movie called Avengers that came out, which just completely shifted the entire narrative for, I mean, honestly, not only superhero movies, but for better or worse, for movies going forward for the next, you know, 10 years. Um, and that was what was that movie? That was a very just like let the heroes be the heroes and happy and jokey and just like it's just absolutely two and a half hours of fun and pure entertainment. And I think when people saw that, they were like, now we want superhero movies to be this and we don't want the, you know, the darker material. And so and then like so it's funny. It's like when Man of Steel comes out in 2013, like it's already a relic. Um, and I really I really believe that had Man of Steel come out in 2011 before the Avengers, I really do think that the reception would have been very different. I still think it would have probably been divisive because of the Superman characterization. But mm -hmm. I just think that one year after the Avengers, this was not the movie that people wanted to see. Now, OK, I think that is it as dour as people say it is? No, it's not. If you want to use that criticisms with BVS, like I totally get it. But but again, it was a very like it, not a lot mm -hmm. of laughs in Man of Steel. Like it is a very serious movie. And so I just think it suffered for being one year after the Avengers when it was just not what people wanted to see from right. super movies. Yeah, yeah. Another good point. So um, we as we get into the plot, you know, uh, Josh, can you give us a plot summary? Were you prepared to, you know, did you have the your notes? Oh, I'm very excited to hear the plot summary of the Codex. This is going to be great. Oh, Let's gosh. Um, it's Superman. He comes to Earth. Zod comes after him. And he snaps his neck. The end. No, no it's a little bit more complicated than that. No. Um, so we have um, the planet Krypton is uh, imminently going to be destroyed. And so Jarrell and Lara, uh, Lara, right? Yeah. Um, decide to send their uh, baby boy, their sweet baby boy, not Grogu. It's, it's Kal-El uh, across the universe to Earth where he can grow up among humans uh, meanwhile, General Zod is trying to take over Krypton. Doesn't go well. Uh, Krypton gets blown up. Zod is forced to get trucked into the Phantom Zone. Years later, we have Kal-El, now Clark Kent, growing up in the U.S. on planet Earth. And then, lo and behold, he finds out his backstory, his origin story. And shortly after, Zod comes and says, hey, I need you because you have, in your DNA, he finds out later, or your cells, the ability to recreate the entire population of Krypton. Um, and then Zod basically wants to commit genocide and destroy all of the human population and turn Earth into new Krypton. Uh, Clark doesn't like that, and so they fight, and does not go well for Zod. But that about wraps it up. Um, right, yeah. I mean, that, like, I have to say, I, you know, when we talk about scenes that have aged well or not aged well, I mean, like that Krypton opening for me is thick as hell. And like, you like really think about this, think about everything that's happening in like the first, like 15, whatever minutes of the movie. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, Kalel is getting born and you find out it's like this 
very, you know, significant birth because it's the first natural birth of Krypton in like, you know, years or whatever. Um, so you have that happening. You have this furious opening, you know, you've got General Zod's revolt, the planet's exploding, Russell Crowe's diving in to save the Codex, you know, they're they're saving Kalal and put him on the ship. And then you have this emotional battle between, you know, General Zod and Jarrell, who are clearly like, you know, like best friends. And it's like you're already drained. I mean, it's a it's it is one hell of a superhero movie opening. Um, you guys still think that opening is aged well? Uh, I'll answer first. So, yeah, I was surprised um, looking um, um, at this movie and clocking it. Um, it's almost like, yeah, the first 20 minutes of this movie is all in, you know, Krypton, which I think is gutsy because they're like, okay, some people like him. We, we, we know all this. Can we get the, um, you know, the, the movie started? This is all backstory. But like, I do think, you know, it obviously has a lot of uh, plot points. Um, it really does um, allow you to um, kind of appreciate the world building a little bit more. Um, so it's my understanding actually that I didn't know this at the time that a lot of this movie's interpretation of, uh, Krypton, at least in terms of like the codex and the, uh, the Genesis chamber, I think it's called, unless I just mix that up with the thing in Star Trek. <laughs> no, 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 that was, that was. The... Okay. I was like, there's also the Genesis planet or whatever in Star Trek. I wasn't sure if I was mixing them up, but anyway, yeah. Um, that's actually taken from um, the, it's like 1987, 1988 um, comic that's called Man of Steel, which was uh, the Superman reboot after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths yeah, that went, uh, you know, came out alongside Batman Year One, uh, which came up with the idea that like, yeah, no, yeah, Kryptonians are, you know, you know, artificially, you know, engineered in some way. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, you know, it's it. I was really invested at the time uh, when, you know, I saw it the first time. And even now I'm like, yeah, this is uh, still pretty exciting. Um, I think visually it's very appealing. Um, I know some people might say it's like, oh, Jarrell just rides a dragon from Avatar and <laughs> goes on his way. It's like, but no, I think it's visually distinct enough um, that um, I, I was uh, into it. Um I honestly it's an think example that, of good CGI. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's also because like at the time I was thinking it's like okay, like how Christopher Nolan's attached to this, and he's always like, well, I want to do things with realism. It's like you can only do so much realism with Superman without chucking, you know, aside the fact that he's an alien. You know, you know, I, I don't know how you do Superman, you know, more realistically, you know. That, you know, he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like a bodybuilder or something. <laughs> Please, no. Don't give them ideas. Yeah, I, I I, do think that for the CGI, I remember when it first came out, for whatever reason, maybe because the dragon reminded me of it, I was like, wow, this is a lot like Avatar, just a yeah. lot less colorful, um, which I don't think is a, is a fair comparison. Um, but I do think arguably that those are two examples of CG working well and aging fairly well. Um, what I will say is it does get me into some of my points in the movie, which I don't like. Um, and that is, I will argue that I don't think the performances in this movie are very good. And I put a lot of that on the directing and the writing. Mm -hmm. I think the writing in particular is. Okay. So let, 
All right, so let, let's let's get to one of those performances because I actually it's funny you say that because I agree with some of what you said, but I don't agree with some of what you said. But I'll just ask because I'll tell you what my favorite performance is in the movie, and that's Michael Shannon as Zod. Now, here's what I'll say about this: is I actually agree with you that on paper some of these lines that he's getting are really bad, like really bad. But I think that Shannon is investing so much into this damn character that he makes it work. Like he was crucial casting. He goes for it. Like, I mean, honestly, like I will find him like, now listen, obviously like, I'm sure that's like a meme somewhere. I'm sure you can find that. I, but, but (laughs) I I think he sells it. I think he really sells it. Like I'm threatened by this guy. He is sinister. Um, so that's why I, he, he is my favorite performance in the movie. And like, even just some some of the subtler moments too, like, the look on his face when he has to kill Jarrell twice, like he kind of regrets it immediately after he does it. But he also has this look on his face like he knows he has to do it because, as he says, like his programming and like the way he was born, like he's programmed to like do whatever it takes to protect Krypton. And in his mind, protecting Krypton was killing Jarrell. And just like, oh, in his speech when he um over the broadcast, like when he's saying, like, you know, you shelter one of my own, like is so sinister. Uh, and then I just and again, this is another line I got to read that on paper, like maybe it's like a little over the top, but Shannon sells it. I just I have to. This is like you want to talk about an all time villain line. Um, but tell me, you have Jarrell's memories, his conscience. Can you experience his pain? I will harvest the codex from your son's corpse and I will rebuild Krypton atop his bones. I mean, it's a villain line. Um, so I, I would. So, again, I would be very curious to know, because, uh, Josh, you were just saying, like, I don't like some of the performances in this movie. Is Shannon one of those performances that did not hit for you at times? Yeah. And, and to, to your point, I do put most of it on Goyer's script and less of it. on. I think Shannon is doing as much as he can. I think he's he's bringing his A game. I just think some of the dialogue just like doesn't work um but no i think he like he's bringing the presence he's definitely like embodying this sinister force where it's like as soon as you seem like okay this is the villain of your movie like that's Mm -hmm. that's settled um but i don't i i think i have less problems with his performance and more with um with uh, russell crowe's to be honest russell crowe just feels very wooden in this entire movie just like stoic in the same way that Liam Neeson is in The Phantom Menace. Ooh. Well, I actually, so that's funny. I like see because I like both of their performances. <laughs> I, 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 okay, Crow. Yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying about like kind of like what it because he's he's pretty reserved in this movie. I think that's fair. I think where Crow shines. Um, is just like when he's explaining the history of Krypton to uh, Kal-El when he first discovers the ship, like that is, I think that's where Crow really shines and just like, cause it's, it is so much exposition. Like, I'm sure if you read the script, it's like, gee, this is like two pages of exposition, but I could, I could listen to Crow talk about that stuff for like another, another hour. And I feel like, I got to feel like that's like a Nolan specialty to me. Like, to be honestly, is like he I think Nolan in a lot of his movies, there's so much explaining and exposition that has to happen. But he writes it and he does it in a way that is so entertaining. Like Inception is a classic example of that, 
where like I could just listen to, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's character talk about how the world works for like another hour. Um, so I, I felt like Crow did work in that regard. But you do see the point. Like he's wouldn't fair, like he's a little reserved, just kind of but I think he's supposed to be that way. Like he is just like the stoic character. Like he's the mm. stoic Jarrell. Yeah. And and I wasn't sure if that was also intentional because he's he's like an artificial construct. Like he he's he's an AI at that point. Like he's not really Jarrell. So like maybe that can explain some of it. Mm-hmm. Um I will say I do I do enjoy the uh, the backstory of Krypton. That that reminded me a lot, actually, of a um, movie that came after this, Black Panther, um, when they're describing oh, that yeah. world yeah. of Wakanda. Um, similar, like, okay, let's play with the uh, technology of this place and and show you the images uh, with the narration from one of our key characters. So, I, I thought there were some some fun connections there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just and. and Maybe this is just like uh, just my own personal gripe. Just Russell Crowe just like standing in front of doors later in the movie and just like like just flashing his hand open for the door. Just for some reason, I just couldn't like take that serious. <laughs> That's such a great scene when he's like guiding Lois Lane out of the ship. That's a good. Scene. I don't know. It just for some some reason, I just found it so silly. Right. Maybe I was thinking like, what is Russell Crowe thinking? Is he like, I am an Academy Award winning actor. What am I doing just with these hand motions? Right. It does look like he's using the force, sure. Yeah, right. So, so Josh, uh, first about, uh, you know, Michael Shannon. Um, if you think he repeats himself a lot, you obviously don't watch a lot of Robert De Niro movies where he basically repeats himself through the entire movie. Um, also, um, yeah, no, Zazan is just, I for me, he is the most memorable part, um, obviously, because I mean, he drives the plot, but uh, Shan's performance, uh, it's just so entertaining. Um, he yes. has, even even though, like, some of the lines come across as goofy, like when he asks uh, Superman, he says, where do you train, on a farm? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it's, I, I, I like it. I, I, I know it's maybe not 100% for the right reason, but, you know, I think if you're going to have Zod as a character like um, like Terrence Stamp was in Superman 2, mm. he has to be the most quotable character in the movie. And he is. So they succeed on that front. He just man, he just showed up to work like I he was so into it. And that's what I really appreciated about the mm-hmm. character. And I, I interested to see him again in mm-hmm. coming up soon here. So right, we'll see. Right. Um, yeah. In terms of Jarrell, um, I can see what you're saying. It didn't bother me. Um I, you know, I'll give him much more to pass for this than, you know, him in Thor Love and Thunder. But, you know, that's another podcast. <laughs> it's a very different performance. Like I said before, I think they should consider taking away his Oscar for that. But but I digress. Um, wow. No, he's great and gladiator. Let's not do that. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess just talking about like other characters. um, um I, I thought, Josh, for a second that the character that you said you were going to be the like wasn't sure about was Henry Cavill as Superman slash Clark Kent. But then again, I know you just said, like, you think this is a good movie. So I feel like if that were the case, you would not think that this was a good movie. Yeah, well, I, I think let, let me phrase. I think this is a goodish movie and goodish. I don't and I and I'm. Don't think one. I don't like some of the choices, but I do think they're choices that people should respect as you know, creator decisions. And some of the execution I don't like. 
So that's that's my take. But Henry Cavill is not my problem. I I'm I think one he looks the part. First off. If you look up, you know, beefcake in the dictionary, you see a picture of that man. <laughs> that that guy is is ripped. He's built, and you know, he he was born to play Superman. Um, I think once again, I don't have fault with him as much as some of the directing, and this this is even about him, just more the characterization of. I find it hard to believe that this character would go and try to save humanity and be so impelled to like be this this force for protecting human life when all of like the flashbacks we get of him as a child are just him being like bullied and made fun of and like every human he's ever seen like even in the present like he goes to the bar and like people are just being terrible to like everywhere he goes like humans have been awful to him it's like why why would you care about humanity given this well, okay, so there's a couple things going on. There. Well, first of all, I mean, Henry Cavill's great. That's the guy. Like, I mean, he, he just he has a presence about him, and what's good about his performance that it, it's very understated, um, and you can see it just all over his face, and it's very subtle. Like, I mean, for me, like one of the first scenes when he's on the boat, and he overhears like the radio broadcast about how the other people are probably not going to make it; they're not going to survive, and you can just tell by the look of it on his face. He's just like, it's pure concern and just like, I'm not going to let that happen. Um, and so he goes, and that's like, yeah, that's like one of the first scenes. And so you can you absolutely buy that this guy is going to be Superman. Um, I think the stuff when like he's a kid and trying to harness his powers, you know, like that's like, that's one of the, I think biggest, it, you know, one of the best parts of the movie, because that's one of the things that they were really going for in that, like, let's like what would actually happen if this kid was getting like all these like crazy senses and flipping out and like not knowing how to use all these like it would be scary. And that's what they get across. Like, that's why I like some of the as sometimes I think this movie is very fast paced and obviously has like a lot of action. And I would say that the first half is better at this than the second half. But like also, though, you know, and this is why I think it's one of Snyder's better directed movie, probably his best directed movie for me um, is because he knows when to settle down and just focus on character. And so I like that scene, you know, when Martha comes in and Clark can't control his hearing and his X-ray vision, like that stuff's really good. And look, I mean, the thing about like, yeah, like all the humans like treating him poorly and like the guy at the bar, I mean, like that's also like a big, and you're right, but that's also like a big part of the movie. Like, and that's part of his journey and his arc, right? You know, that's what his dad tells him, like, you know, you're going to have to stand in front of the human race or not. And I think one of the problem, I think one of the good things about his arc is and why Lois Lane is a very crucial character here is that's kind of what brings the hope out in him. Right. He's really the embodiment of what Clark hopes people's reactions will be when he does finally reveal himself to the world. It's trust and hope in him, not rejection, not fear. You know, that's what he really does want to inspire. Um, but again, to Josh's really good point, like, you know, he sees on his travels clearly like a lot of ugliness in humanity. But that's like I think that's why it's crucial to bring someone like Amy Adams into the picture to embody that character of like, no, like because that's the whole thing where she's sitting on this big story and, you know, she could reveal him to the world, but she chooses not to because, you know, and that's the trust that Clark has in her. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all like all those things that Josh brings up, like that's all crucial to his character are. No. I, I will agree that Amy Adams is pulling a lot of weight with not much to do. Uh, not, not exactly what you said, but I'll, I'll say that. Um, but yeah, she's she's important for 
his development into the the hero. Um, I will disagree with the the flashback sequences, like the child. I think the the writing in particular for when he's having difficulty controlling his like X-ray vision and and super hearing. I think the writing for that is is some of the worst in the movie. I really dislike how it's like, okay, let's have the entire class out. Anyone who's ever worked in in education knows that would not happen. Um, and two, the like the imagine like an island in your mind or like the, or imagine my voice in island. That for me is just like really cringy dialogue. Like that is <laughs> that is not good. Right. Right. I mean, we, we I don't want to turn this into a podcast where we just talk about every single line of dialogue that I liked it. I didn't like it. I mean, because <laughs> I know I can already see that you guys uh, are sort of polar opposites um, on some of the uh, the dialogue. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking it's like, well, it's like, did, did they need a scene that really showed why Jonathan Kent was afraid um that if Clark revealed himself, bad things were going to happen. I mean, they kind of did have that with the um, the uh, the bus um, and like the yeah. Pete's mom is like this is an act of providence. Like people just like they don't know really how to react to it because it's so um, otherworldly. Um, I could have used a little bit more, but I can't honestly tell you. You know, well, Costner um, has the toughest role I think oh, in yeah, the entire yeah. movie. I mean, he's I mean, look, he's got some it's like we talked about earlier. I you know, he has a lot of lines that are very, very, very unlike the Jonathan Kent character that people are used to. And so he has a very tricky performance. He's got to really sell this as I'm concerned, like, but, you know, I'm kind of confused about what to do here. I don't you know, like, but he's also he he's also trying really hard to impart the right wisdom to his son because he knows the weight that his son's going to have, you know, later on in life when he does finally reveal himself. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of tricky. And I think that's probably where it's funny. It's like, I, when I, when I think about the criticisms of this movie um, and what hasn't aged the best for me, I mean, look, the Jonathan Kent scene where he dies is a tough scene to take. It, it's, 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 it's tough. Um, I, I will say that I do give Goyer and Snyder a lot of credit, though, in this sense, and that I think that that is where they are really writing to the best of their abilities. And they do handle that scene, I think, with tact in this sense, and that I buy into the wrap up scene after that where Clark Kent is basically look like I trusted my dad. OK, and, you know, he's he's willing to put this belief on the line that. I'm not ready to reveal myself to the world. I'm not ready yet. My character isn't ready yet. Um, and it has to wait because obviously if he saves his dad, then, you know, it's all, it's all over. Like everyone knows who he is. Um, and so it's, again, that's a, I mean, that is a tough scene to navigate. And that is one of the ballsiest scenes in the movie. I think that they handle it mostly with tact, but I will say this, they kind of try and do a similar scene in BVS where it is not handled well, even like as me as a defender of that movie, like when it's the it's the Martha scene where she's being like, hey, you know, you know, be everyone's hope or, or or be none of it. Like that's that was not a good scene. Whereas I think with the Jonathan Kent stuff, they're handling it better. And I think, you know, it wraps up very nicely at the end of the movie when 
Martha tells Clark, like, look, your dad always knew that you were going to, you know, be the hero that you that you were going to be. He knew that he knew that you could bear the weight of the world. And that's what he believed. And so that is a nice moment to wrap up the Jonathan Kent character. But again, that's why I think Kevin Costner has the toughest role in the movie. No. And, and I will say that as controversial as I mean, one of many controversial moments, but as, as controversial sure. as that moment is when he he does die, it does track with the rest of his character in the the film like you do have this sense of he's so concerned he's so distraught about like what does it mean for for clark to integrate into human society and what it will mean for him to reveal himself that i'm you know convinced that this character would you know rather die than let his son reveal himself too soon so i i don't necessarily have a problem with that as much as just once again, this is where I get into like the choices and characterizations. Um, I, I I love a good like Ma and Pa Kent where they're you know like really like just giving him like these really you know sweet you know true values you know you get true sure, justice American way. So for me, yeah. but once again, that's that's a preference thing. So I I, I don't want to put my own preferences onto Costner because I think yes, the for the character he's given for what they're trying to do i think it all tracks Mm -hmm. josh i have a few questions to ask you first did it give you flashbacks to living in iowa with the tornado oh god (laughs) (laughs) uh i thankfully never got that close to a tornado um derecho yes but that's a little different Um, (laughs) i don't even know what that is uh it's not fun i'll tell you (laughs) um Yeah, I will say watching this movie after living in the Midwest, I feel like I did have a greater appreciation for it. Um, that being said, I don't remember there being an IHOP and a Sears that exploded on, uh, you know, random days. But maybe they did. I don't know. Right, right. Also, this is a nitpick, um, and this is going to probably change from person to person. We know many people love their pets. Do you buy people going back into a tornado to save their dog? Do you know people who would do that? I mean, people I, would do that, but <laughs> is it kind of questionable in this? Yes. I, 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 yeah, I'd like to play the fence here. Like, I, I agree that it's a nitpick, but I also like, yeah, I guess like it's fine. Like, I get mm-hmm. it. Like, I get it. Like, I can see it. I can see it happening. Right. Yeah. Just right. uh, talk about the survivor's guilt that dog has. Bring that dog to therapy. <laughs> Come on. Yes. <laughs> right. Um. So, like, uh, getting into, like, some of the other characters. Um, so, you guys, um, Josh, I know you said that uh, you don't think that Amy Adams has enough to do as Lois, but you like what she does with what she has. Um, I would agree with that. Um, Dan, I'm going to assume that uh, you think Amy Adams is good in this uh, movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like I said. I mean, I would agree, like, you know, at times, like, underwritten. Yeah, like, sure. Um, but I think that yeah, she provides a very important, you know, obviously role in the arc of Clark Kent in this movie. Um, and their chemistry is really good. I mean, the scene when, you know, uh, after Clark turns himself in mm-hmm. and they're talking about the symbol on his chest, like that's a, like, you know, he, he's very good in that scene. And also that's like, a, I mean, I would imagine you guys would both agree with this. Like, that's probably one of the most Superman-esque, like traditional Superman-esque scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like just just talking about pure hope and what the symbol means on from Krypton. It's it's sort of funny. Also, I just thought about how like it's sort of like a weird twist from 
a few years earlier on the Joker interrogation scene where he's chained up and it's like so chaotic and he's just like, yeah, like I'm, I'm a good guy. You can trust me. <laughs> I remember people making that comparison at the time. Like, oh, like, oh, there's another interrogation scene. I'm like, this one's pretty different than the one. Yeah. In the China, I'm pretty yeah. sure. I, I don't know. For some reason, it just <laughs> reminded me of that. Yeah. I mean, interrogation rooms are a well-used, you know, setting in film and yes. TV. So. Well, it's, well, in superhero movies, yes, they've had like, you know, we just had one last year with the Riddler and Batman. So, yeah, mm -hmm. when there's an interrogation scene right. in a superhero movie, it's probably going to mm -hmm. be pretty good. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. For, I, I, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Josh, yeah. I was. Uh, yeah. I, I agree that Amy Adams is good. This is definitely out of all of her appearances um, in anything uh, Superman or DC comics related. This is her best performance just because I think they give her the best material. Um, I mean, definitely by the time you get to Justice League, she's kind of just there. But then again, I guess Lois Lane isn't technically a part of the Justice League. But she's also, I mean, like heavily involved in the action and like, yeah. you know, one that finds out like how to destroy or like. Right, you know, right. Yeah. There was one yeah. in sci fi shenanigans. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That was one thing I actually really liked about this movie and still kind of appreciate about this movie is that. With the traditional Superman movie, the humans just kind of wait and let Superman do what he needs to do, kind of like the humans in like a Godzilla movie. Like there are humans, but it's not really about them here. Like the human characters actually have a lot of agency in the plot. Mm. Like without them, the plan couldn't work. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I would agree so far to say that this Lois Lane I really love how active she is in the plot. This is not, you know, as much as I enjoy Christopher, um, the Christopher Reeve Superman, this is not like Lois just kind of like getting damseled in distress every single moment. Like Lois is, yeah, she's, she's integral to the plot. She's, even though it's controversial, she is finding out Clark's identity, you know, from the get-go, which I think is a good call. I think, yes. thank you for just confirming that, yes, <laughs> she's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. She can figure out that a guy has glasses and is her boyfriend. Like, come on. <laughs> um, so I appreciate all that. Um, one thing, I just wish there was more for her to do. I just think when you have someone of her caliber there, like, give her just something a little bit meatier and then not to, to harp back on like some of the lines. There's just a few lines from her that just really irritate me. The one that drove me up the wall was when she first gets to the the Arctic dig site and asks, "What if she needs to tinkle?" I almost <laughs> screamed. Man, David Goyer does not. This is a rough podcast for David Goyer. Um, uh, I mean, look, this, it's not look. It's not as good as this Batman Begins script, but you know, I think I think with Goyer, like he's yes. Like, like I agree with this. Like, the dialogue is not great at times, but um, I think you have actors like really elevating material quite well here. Um, in particular, like I already mentioned with like Shannon. Um, but like, look, I mean, you know, I think I think what I do give, yes, we can nitpick the dialogue stuff and all that. Um, and some of the details, but I think where Goyer's script has it where it counts for me is that the story and the arcs are spot on. Um, and the main thing of what they want to do they achieve here again but i've said this like and look i've look, i've certainly have defended you know Zack snyder movies but like i mean look i think the reason why man of steel is like the best dc movie we've gotten is because you no one's influence is there like he's like a like i 
I've got to think like he is a big part of this movie. Like he's not just, you know, hey, I'm a producer on Man of Steel. Like, I mean, he was involved. That's my opinion. I think his influence is very clear in this movie. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and I think it, it's, it's funny that that is such the case because I was reading before this that one of the like, I mean, the most controversial moment of the movie was actually something that Chris or Chris Rowland did not want in that he he petitioned against. And that is what happens with Zod at the end. Apparently no yes. one was very much against that. And they just vetoed him and just Snyder and Goyer went past him. So I know we're not quite to that point yet, mm -hmm. but right, um, right. speaking about the Nolan influence, you know, he had his 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 fingerprints on it. But there were times when he was just told, like, Chris, you got to get out of here. And that's when I think the movie gets a little divisive. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Josh, I want to thank you for totally disregarding what I said about the you know, dialogue earlier and just be like, I'm going to complain about it some more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always yeah. here to disregard your. Um, I just like uh, I'll get into some like some of uh, not lesser characters in that like their performance are necessarily lesser, but sort of more minor characters. Um, uh, I think that Lawrence Fishburne, for what they give him, is good as Perry uh, Perry White. Um, I've never been a huge Perry White fan as a character, so he's certainly fine. He's more memorable than Frank Langella in uh, Superman Returns. Master. I thought you were calling Perry Mason for a second there. No, not Perry Mason, which Bill but, reviewed on the site, the new yeah. HBO show. No, I see. I think Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, he's he's good in this, just like he's good in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. He's not, you know, you know, really gonna light anyone mm -hmm. um, or like really like blow anyone's socks off. But like, yeah, he's doing good. He's he's bringing his game. He's good. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's just great that they got someone like him to like, you know just to, to round out this great cast. Like, mm -hmm. cause like, I mean, look, uh, you know, Barry White, it's, it's not like a big character here, but you know, he's got a couple of crucial scenes. Like, I mean, his best scene in this movie is definitely just when he's talking to Lois about, you know, telling this story. And he's like, do you realize what would happen if people found out that there was like an alien walking around among us? Like that's like, that's probably his best delivered speech. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's always good to have Lawrence Fishburne in a movie. Um, it's, it's, what's funny is, is like his best, out of like, if you if you want to take a look at the DC, you know, lore in the DC EU, um, I still think his funniest line is actually probably in BVS when he's like, "In other news, water is wet." That's a good line. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, are you disappointed he did not say "Great Caesar's Ghost"? <laughs> the, the, that would have not no. fit with this. With this yeah, job. yeah, I know. I, that was uh, sort no of a self-answering, self-answering question, but. Um, yeah. But no, um, no movie is ever made of lesser by having Lawrence Fishburne in it. Right, right. Um, I do want to say the character that took me by surprise the most, um, I think we're probably going to all be in agreement, um, is Zod's Lieutenant Feora. Yeah. Uh, she's awesome in this movie. She, she's very she menacing. Um, she actually does, uh, you know, at least 50% of the fighting. Um, she's very intimidating. She has... One of the better written lines where she talks about how they don't have morality and how that makes them more, you know, capable, you know, killers or whatever. Um, even like the back and forth that she has with um, the uh, the Air Force captain or whatever. Uh, Christopher like, Maloney? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. They, they have like a, like a small arc for him almost where he, he 
you know, saves the day at the end. He says the line that she said before, like, uh, a good death is its own reward. I don't know. I just it, all that stuff really worked for me. Fair is like, like honestly, like I mean, she's like what Captain Phasma should have been in the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Just like you don't need to overwrite anything. Just like this awesome badass who just comes in when she needs to come in, delivers a great mm-hmm. villain line, and is just menacing. That's all you need. And yeah, Fair right. is great at that. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I really love um, the the way that she just fights and she kind of just like zips around. Um, Mm. You know, z- stops to hit somebody, then keeps going. And it's so unique in that I haven't really seen it done in another superhero movie. Unless, Josh, I don't know, can you think of something with the Flash on maybe the TV show? He always kind of moves in a straight line. He doesn't really stop. This is more mm. kind of sporadic. Well, I think that's, not to, to switch gears, but talking about like the action in general... That is something that this film does very differently from other films, and that like you have like all of these like shock waves, and you have the the ground crumbling underneath them. And yeah, for her, like you see her her zigzagging um, because she's not just floating; she's she's pushing off of the ground and getting to the next point, and then pushing off again. And so there really is this this like this aggressive, violent nature to the action which I think works um, to, you know, differentiate from other mm-hmm. um, superhero movie battles. Um, and also I think just like a good kind of like, look, she's, she's, she's a woman. That doesn't mean she has to be like, you know, graceful. Like she is badass. She can do whatever she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also a Nazi, which is not great, but you know, oh, yeah. other than that, <laughs> you know, she does make, you know, a good villain. Look, I mean, look, there's Zack Snyder. All right. He has a lot of weaknesses as a director. But I mean, the the action in this movie, like that is where he shines. It's pretty spectacular. Like, yes. Is it a little much at times when like literally the entire screen is like exploding? I mean, sure. But yes. And Josh, you've already mentioned it really well. But it's like all the subtle touches, like when they're on the ground getting ready to take off and you see like some of this like dust or, you know, hovering or like cracks in the ground, like. That is when he shot. Like, you can feel it. It's harsh. It's brutal. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was thrilling and really entertaining to watch on a big screen. Um, and yeah, that is like, that's where he shines. And like, I know, I, you know, maybe we're not ready to get into the Zod, you know, fight yet. But like, look, I mean, this just forgetting the ending for a minute, just like I, that fight with Zod at the end is, I mean, you cannot just walk out of there saying like, oh, yeah, I mean, that is an. That is a spectacular epic superhero showdown. And mm-hmm. you, you got to I mean, you got to give credit to the action there. I mean, it still looks really good. Just watching the other day. Um, it is crisp. It is very, very good. He's lucky. He, he's very good at action. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I I think the only area in this is not even action. This is maybe just more. And I don't think this is necessarily. This might just be cinematography. Um, the one thing that did bother me, just not a fan of some like the uh shaky cam and like um oh, yeah it, sudden close-ups oh. um like well like we're gonna like have superman flying off in the distance and then extreme close-up to see where he's he's flying and some of that but that was once again more of a personal preference than anything it's funny you mentioned so i, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast like i was hyped as hell coming into this film but like literally no joke the one thing that was my number one concern going into man of steel was I was terrified about the shaky cam ruining the entire movie. 
um that was that was my biggest concern like i thought i was like oh it's it could be too distracting i have to admit like the only time where it was a little distracting for me was um at the beginning like after the krypton scene where there really isn't much shaky cam at all i don't think uh but it's like when he's on the fishing boat there is and i was like oh no like this please don't let this be the rest of the movie and it's almost like someone told him like hey you know we have a great movie here. Can you just not do that? And so then it kind of went away. So I was glad. Yeah. So I had that concern going into it. Like, Oh no, it's going to be shaky cam, shaky cam overload. But uh, no, he, he was restrained. No. Right. And for being, I think prior to this being known predominantly as like the slow motion guy, there's like no Mm -hmm. slow motion in this at all. Like very, very little. That's a good point. Yeah, I, you're right. Yeah, it is. A, I and I, I feel like I am. I have to think like ten years ago that was probably a talking point where there were probably people concerned that it was going to be a lot of that. But no, it it really wasn't. Yeah, it's especially. I mean, look, especially when you compare it to three hundred and Watchmen. So I mean, right. Yeah. It's all yeah. Over the place. Um. I, yeah. So I, I do want to just note, Josh. So you're you're talking about moments in the action where it looks like the camera operator is specifically shaking the camera around as, as opposed to handheld shots, which might have a little bit of a, you know, bounce to them. Yes. Yeah. Right. Cause I mean, I can find even a little handheld uh, uh, distracting at times because they, they, I was reading, they did want to give this more of a documentary feel, but for most of the time it, it did not um, bother me. I think the action, you know, as much as, you know, listen, this is not John Wick. We're not, you know, we have not uh, reached that level of sophistication in, you know, you know, American action cinema yet, you know, at, at the time of, you know, this was made. Or even two years later with Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Which, like, but, another um, step. but, you know, for what it is, you, you, you I very rarely didn't know what was going on, which is good, because, like, I've mentioned before the rest of the cinematography in Batman Begins is great. The fight, fight, um, cinematography in Batman Begins is terrible because it came out a year after the Bourne supremacy, which made shaky cam mm. all the rage. Yeah. Yeah. No, th- th- you can track this <laughs> definitely much easier than in Batman Begins. Um, yeah, really when it comes to the action, it's, I, I don't think it's, I don't think anyone can really complain about the, the quality of it is much as once again, like the decisions and just like how it interacts with the environments and, mm-hmm. you know, right. how that affects, you know, the kind of main street in Smallville or how right, that affects right. Metropolis, which is right. a different story, but connected. Right. But so I, we're kind of used to in these kind of superhero movies that the the scale of the destruction is kept to a certain level and it's um, not taking a notch up in, you know, this movie, which I think bothered a lot of people because. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, even with um, something like the Avengers, where there's this huge you know battle in New York, they kind of made it seem like it was only like a few blocks somehow. Uh-huh. Even though they both have the giant glowing beam in the sky. Well, which was all the rage. Time on our tradition. You have to have the the. The, the giant energy beam in the sky yeah hopefully yeah. we can just retire that now you know yeah i don't know i don't know or maybe we'll see one in the flash i don't know oh <laughs> i would be yeah, surprised. But we have to but like you know we have to talk about 
that like that was I mean, like if you remember, I that was like one of the main talking points coming out of this movie is the destruction, the destruction, the destruction, the destruction, and why isn't Superman, you know, doing more to you know, protect people and get them out of these environments. Like, I, like, I mean, I'd be curious to know what you both think about this, but like, for me, like, I, okay, I think there's one moment in the movie when, um, Zod is threatening his mom and then Superman comes in and flies him, you know, into, I forget where it was, but it causes, it's like a massive explosion. Yeah, it's okay. a silo. So yeah. that's right. So like, all right, I can see we're like, yeah, you know, that's really Superman, like taking Zod and flying him somewhere and mm -hmm. like probably could have done a better job. I admit, but like, but at the same time, like he's probably a little emotionally distraught, like, you know, mm -hmm. he was coming to save his mom. So like, but that, but like, other than that, like, I just, I think it was an overblown criticism. Just like, I mean, look, it's, he's fighting against like three, four of these other like superpowered beings. Like it just, like what he's like hey guys can we you know take this to another part of like you know of of smallville like hey can we move this over here like they're in a battle it just and look mm -hmm. it's not and they do address it like he in superman says like hey get inside like it is not safe here like get out of here um so they address it at some point and then look i mean he's fighting zod in the middle of metropolis and i just i'll bring up the same point like what is he gonna do like hey zod can just you know t t time out can we can we bring this somewhere else like they were in the middle of a battle. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I know that that really bothered people and like, I get like, it is, I mean, it is a lot of destruction in the film. Like I get it, but I think overall it was an overblown criticism. That's just me. Aaron, what are your thoughts? Uh, remember that time in Dragon Ball Z where <laughs> Goku tells the Android to move the battle elsewhere so they can get away from people. And then the Android proceeds to kill everybody. How did I know you were going to bring up Dragon Ball Z? Because it's the best comparison. <laughs> I have no frame of reference for Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I'll just uh, take your word on that. But Aaron, that's 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 what your thought is, that it's not like Zod would pay attention anyway? Yeah, I think Dan makes a good point. He's basically it's saying... His whole thing is like, I'm going to like, like, this is my whole purpose now. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to annihilate everyone here and you're going to have to watch it. And mm -hmm. that can lead us into the Zod talk when Ray mm -hmm. do it. Like, that's the whole thing. Right. I, I do also think that uh, with some other movies, people sort of just kind of ignore some of the uh, the body count because they're having a good time. And ultimately, it's about the good guys uh, winning. So uh, we were talking in our last podcast. Uh, Bill told us that one of uh, Dan, your favorite movie um, is Independence Day, which has a huge body count. But people don't care about that. They don't care. About those I, like, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite movies, but yes, okay. I do like Independence Day. It's, it's OK. A, yeah. OK. You know, Bill is always trying to put words in Dan's mouth, so. No, no, but he's he is right in that I do really like Independence Day, yes. Right, right. Very entertaining film. Right, but yeah, people, you know, don't care that all those people got blown up by, you know, the spaceships. They just want to see, you know, the, the, the big CGI fights at the end with all the planes and uh, stuff like that. Um, the, the, the fact that a bunch of people die, we kind of been, I mean, maybe this is, you know, a bad thing. We've kind of been... Uh, accustomed to it <laughs> yeah i don't know i i think the criticism is is earned to a degree i think yes there is a whole lot of destruction and yes we could have benefited from having superman just show a little bit more awareness of mm -hmm. okay <laughs> we are 
really destroying the city here. Um, the the big part though one being in the Smallville scene when he yeah, he not specifically brings Zod to the main street, but yeah, he gets mm-hmm. pissed off and he drives him all the way to the IHOP. No wait, that's, he drives that's him. <laughs> yeah, he drives they, they him in his on, car. <laughs> they go on a road trip to IHOP. It's great. Um, no, I I just think that. And, and maybe this is because I'm thinking about this in the context of Avengers, where, yes, maybe it's not as large a scale within New York City, but you do have a very, I think, important element to that is you have Captain America going through and coordinating the evacuation from that, mm-hmm. you know, several block radius of the, um, you know, just the citizens of New York. And I think that's a small thing, but it plays a huge role in, okay, they're saving the city. They're not just fighting Loki. Like mm-hmm. there's a small distinction there that I think made a big difference. And I think this film lacks that. Um, uh, I will say though, he's part of a team. So he has other people fighting while he's able to do that. Superman's just one guy. Yeah. He has super speed, but I don't know. And maybe it would just been better. Like if, I am, yeah, he can only do so much. Maybe if there was like a, a a single line of like telling like the military, like, hey, you need to get the National Guard and like mm-hmm. evacuate the city. Except uh, for that one scene in Superman 2 where he multiplies himself for some reason. Well, that <laughs> still doesn't make sense. What's so funny though is like to Josh's point, like it's what he's saying is exactly like what they do in like other superhero movies after Man of Steel, because like the discussion around this was so much like literally in BVS. I remember watching this in the theater the first time I saw BVS where they're like when Doomsday is coming in, they literally like make a point where they almost like pause the movie and have a guy look into the camera and they're like, there's nobody around that area. So that's a good thing. The work day is done. So right. they're fighting on a place that doesn't have any people. Like, yeah. they, like I mean, I, it wasn't exactly the line of dialogue, but it was pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Anderson and Cooper said. Ultron also, I remember, like made a yes. big, like a big point. Like it was not like if I remember, it's been a long time since I've seen Age of Ultron, but mm-hmm. um, but I think they also made a big point of like we have to get people out of here, like get people out of here, like even more so than what Josh was talking mm-hmm. about with the Avengers with Captain America. Like it was, I, I just remember a lot of dialogue around that on the final scene um, from Age of Ultron. So, yeah. I mean, like, so it was something that, like, I'm telling you, 10 years ago, like, that was that was a talking point for sure. Yeah. No, that is a, that's a good comparison. Um, because, yeah, they definitely did course correct in, in superhero movies after this, like, to a embarrassing degree, I would mm-hmm. say. Um Right. But no, I, I think overall, though, like with that, the, the only other criticism I'd have of that last fight, and, and it's not a criticism that I, once again, find for myself, but I think some people do, is that, OK, you're just having your action figures just smacking against each other and just like breaking things like for some viewers, that's just not compelling. I think that's why my friend fell asleep, because it's like, tell me when they're done punching each other. Um, well, but then, then that's, that's on movie for you then. So. Well, that well, that's exactly it. Like, that's the thing where, you know, your friends falling asleep. So, like, they just they probably just weren't invested in the story. Like, but if you're someone like me who's watching the movie and you've been invested in the story and in these characters for the last two hours, like that fight scene is very, very powerful. So mm-hmm. it's just like you, you were either with the movie or you weren't. 
Um, and so if you were invested and you bought into the story and all the arcs that they were doing, then that's like, then you are watching, you know, very closely that final scene. Right. So I guess getting into, um, the whole, uh, end fight. Uh, so Superman is forced, you know, let's do it. Let's talk forced to force. Do he is forced to kill Zod. He's forced to snap his neck. So is he forced though? Is he? Okay. Yeah. This is the, this is my favorite scene in the movie. Um, it's, I mean, I don't think it's that big. If you look at like the Avengers kill people all the time and they don't get flack for it. It, it, It's sort of like there are a few superheroes that we have kind of classically said are not allowed to kill people. Um, So Superman is one of them. Batman is one of them. And Spider-Man is one of them. I guess like classically pretty much all of them probably like Captain America and most of the Justice League. But like, I feel like, a lot of TV shows and movies over the years have kind of been like, yeah, I mean, if they don't kill the villain, then they'll just come back. Look, I just, I think what cements the scene though, and like kind of what cements the entire movie for me is like, he's forced to do it. And like, I know it, some might find it silly, but like that visceral scream he lets out, like, that's it. Like that's mm-hmm. like that is to me just the pain and just the brunt of what he had to do. Like he's sickened by it. And I feel like that scream is just like letting out like everything that just transpired in like the last 90 minutes for him. Um, he's devastated because like he's, you know, he wants to inspire, you know, like hope and, you know, all this good stuff and not like death. And so it's also like too, like, you know, it's like killing like the last link to his home world. Um, and again, I just, and Cavill sells it. And that's why the scene works for me. Like it's, you got to do it. And he's devastated. And I think the scene with him and Amy is very good when, you know, Lois Lane's coming in to just kind of, you know, be with him for that moment at the end. And you can see like, he's just, again, it's, I had to do this. Like I'm devastated. Like this is not what I want to do. And so it's not just like, Oh yeah, he snaps Zod's neck and you know, we move on. Like, it's addressed really loudly in a very powerful scream. Um, what I will say, though, is what I, I don't like, and I do remember this at the time, is like I kind of don't like that it just kind of brushed aside in the next scene. They just kind of like lighten up the movie after that. Like that that's a problem. And we can get into like this, like maybe what could have been with the sequel and what, you know, what ultimately happened. They mm-hmm. decide BVS and bring in Batman and all that. But like, you know, I think. Like, it's something that I actually would have liked to have seen more addressed in a sequel is like him actually feeling, you know, like the guilt of that. Um, So that's unfortunate. But I think just the scene works because you can see it all over his face. He's devastated that he had to do it. And that's what cements the scene. It's I think it's a very, very, very powerful superhero movie moment. Yeah. And I, I, I can't disagree with with a lot of that because I do think if you're looking at this in a vacuum, it, it works. And, and I think Cavill sells it. I think it is a very effective emotional beat. I think this is once again where you have people coming in with their own Superman baggage interpretation. And it's really where it's like, okay, this is the, the line in the sand of, is this my Superman or not? Um, personally, I don't like when Superman kills. That's just my thing. But... I recognize that is a 
the choice. And so I'm not going to get too hung up on it, except I will say, once again, it's a choice and we can agree or disagree with it. But my, my problem with it is more like the thought behind it. And that's something that Snyder and Gore have like really struggled in the past to try to explain um, so like Goyer and Snyder have said at some points like, oh yes, like this is why he has a no kill role. You know, he had to kill in order to have that role, which is stupid. I don't need to like kill someone to know that's a bad thing to do. I just don't do that because I'm a person. Like it's it, that's <laughs> that a- is a poor explanation. Like it just, and again, like they don't just the the movie. I just think you're right, but like it's also this in my opinion, the scene speaks for itself. Like you don't. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The screen yeah. covers it. Yeah, but they because of it, it was so comfortable. They've, they've been asked so many times. And yeah, other things they've said, it's like, oh, well, like, actually, like, he does kill in the comics. And this is actually true to the comics. And then, like, Snyder's, like, comparing, like, who's got the best comic book nerd credentials, which is silly and not something that you should do. Just, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it does come down to choice. Do I like it? No. What I have not done it? No. Do I respect that they went there? Kind of. I mean, yeah, it was a brave move. And I will say maybe it was the right decision because I don't think this movie would have nearly as much, you know, uh, staying power. I don't think we'd be even talking about it right now if it wasn't for this. I think as, as infuriating as it might be for people who love this movie like you, Dan, this is what makes this movie in the discussion still. Is, is it's how strongly people felt about this. Yeah, it's a great point. And you're right. It's like, yeah, even like 10 years ago, like you're right. Like I'm forgetting, like I'm forgetting even how much of a big deal it was, but you're right. I mean, it was, I mean, it was talked about ad nauseum. You're dead on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this, this movie, you know, after that happens, you know, wraps things up pretty nicely. At the time I was kind of, like, are they really going to have him wear the glasses and just be Clark Kent? It seemed kind of like this is such a more grounded, supposedly, take on Superman. They can't really do that. Um, I kind of feel a little different now because, one, apparently there was – I don't know if this is true, but apparently there was a story that Henry Cavill was in Times Square wearing a Superman suit or shirt and nobody recognized him. I mean, you hear those kind of things – and indifferent. So, so part of me buys that. Um, uh, also, just because I, I don't know what 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 are you possibly going to do if he's not Clark Kent? I, I mean, you have to have some ties to the source material. Otherwise, it's just going to I don't know not be Superman anymore. Yeah. And I, I at the time I, I, again I thought it was kind of goofy. And maybe you guys disagree whether this is a good line or not where Lois says, welcome to the planet, obviously having a double meaning. Love it. Oh, good point. That's, that's good. I I mean, like for me, like I just, I didn't even really think about it too much, honestly, because I would have been just shocked if they didn't end that way. Like I knew that's how the movie's going to end. Like there's no way it just doesn't end with him just walking to the daily planet with the glasses. Mm -hmm. Like that's, there's no other ending that it could have had. So I just don't even really think that much about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I really like the ending. I, but once again, I, I like that more golly shucks Superman. Like one of when these he destroys that, the you know million dollar drone, and we <laughs> find out later that that guy is actually Martian Manhunter. Which that, 
Uh, do you buy in that no, in this movie? That's no, that's <laughs> totally just like retcon. We're never going to see that again. Um, yeah. But that's like, I mean, look, we can, but, you know, I'll tell you this, like, it's sort of, I, that moment I kind of like a little bit less after what we got afterwards, which we can talk about in a minute, like terms of like what could have been with the Superman universe. But I have to, I just, I have to ask you both this question first before we move on to that is because I, I'm, I'm going to be confident that all three of us are going to have the same answer, but I'm curious. We've talked a lot about the characters and all that. Who do you think the MVP of this movie is? Oh, I, I think it's, uh, it's Michael Shannon. Hmm. Okay. Josh. Oh man, that's hard. Um, I'm giving it to Amy Adams. Guys, the MVP of this movie is Hans Zimmer. Oh, oh I, yeah. Song, like, I know, Sorry. I, I kind of tricked you. But yeah. listen, that, but I, I just, we can't go the entire Man of Steel podcast without talking about that. It's the best part of the damn movie. Yes. Um, the score for this movie is incredible. There's, I can't, there's no way. I could find a dark corner of the internet where then it's like, oh yeah, you know, the score, eh, I don't know. It's a, I mean, honestly, like if the score wasn't as good, it's probably, it, I probably wouldn't like the movie as much. This is not just like a good score. Like this is honestly one of my 10 favorite scores ever for a motion picture. I think it's that good. I don't care. Like people could say I'm being hyperbolic. This score is beautiful. Um, just like watching it the other day too, just like the opening, um, even like when they're doing all the Warner Brother logos and whatever, it's like I think the track is called Look to the Stars. Just like that gave me goosebumps and chills. Um, the little piano thing that they do at the end when they're flashing back to Jonathan Kent, you know, watching Clark in the cape and whatever. The score for this movie movie is absolutely positively spectacular. Um, and it is my favorite part of this movie. I've listened to the score like nine million times in my life. Like, I don't care. Um, and yeah, so I just, there's no way we could get, we could finish the podcast without mentioning Von Zimmer. Yes. Great score. Greatest superhero score of all time. Ooh, I, I wouldn't <laughs> go that far. I do yeah, think it's. What's better? His Dark Knight score? So I, mean, I would say it's... like his, it's, well, I mean, look, that has the advantage of obviously being in the better movie, uh, that like, and you know, I'm not gonna, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna sit here and go, eh, on the Dark Knight score, obviously. <laughs> Knight score. Oh, well, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. Probably that's like a collaboration, Josh. That's him and James. Uh, oh, that's Hume. true. Yeah. I'll say that probably like the, the single, like best thing that Hans Zimmer has ever written is probably the Joker theme just because it fits like a character so well. Like, so I have to give him mm -hmm. credit for that, but I would say overall, yeah, I'll, I'm not the man of steel score above Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. wow. Much as I love the Dark Knight score. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't go that far. I do I do love this score though. I, as I mentioned earlier, like I've I've really like gone back and forth on how I feel about this movie. But even the moments when I've been like, yeah, this movie I don't like or I do like, I've always stuck with this score being great. Like this has been on my Spotify account, like as one of my go-to albums for the last ten years because it is so good. Mm -hmm. Um I do have to make a, a quick aside to something Aaron you mentioned earlier with the Daily Planet ending. Um, my problem is not the glasses. My problem is what is qualifications? How did he get that job? Does he even have a journalist degree? I don't think he got that job. <laughs> I, I actually I, thought about that too. Like when I was watching, the other uh, whatever he's, you know, he, look, it's all about networking, right? You know, I'm sure, you know, although <laughs> I was going to say like, I maybe Lois Lane helped him, but they're clearly like they're meeting for the first time. So yeah, I don't know. Listen, listen, Clark has traveled the world. You know, I'm sure he's made a lot of good connections. It's all good. Mm -hmm. that's, His that's resume funny. so far, I've worked at a bar and I worked on a, worked on a fishing boat. Therefore, I deserve <laughs> to work at this world-class newspaper. Right. Perfect sense. 
Right. Um, I'm nitpicking. Right. Um, so just looking into, you know, this obviously was the launching point to uh, the the whole DC Extended Universe or whatever they decided to call it. I, I thought I heard that that was never the official name and fans just called it that. Um, and it's funny that we're talking about that. And 10 years later, they're essentially killing it and, you know, rebooting it. I know, right? And Zod's going to be in that movie. Yeah. All yeah. comes full circle. Yeah. I, he just unsnapped his neck. He's doing better now. Put on a Band-Aid. He's great. Right. So um, I guess, uh, I know, Dan, we, we know you like Batman versus Superman, um, but I'm assuming that you don't really consider that to be a true man of steel too. So that's like, that's the thing. And that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier is like, you know, we go off on, you know, Clark Kent, you know, being Clark Kent and we're ready to go on another Superman movie. And like, here, here's the thing. And of course, you know, I talk about it in every podcast I'm on, like BVS always comes up and yes, I defend BVS. I like it, you know, certainly has its flaws, but even as a defender of that movie, like I, it's, it's, it's it's disappointing to me that we never got just the true Man of Steel two, mm-hmm. um, and clearly like there's no like obviously if this movie was a b- as big of a hit as they thought it was gonna be that's what we were gonna get I mean I'm convinced of that I think we were I don't yes do I think that they always do I think the plan was always for Man of Steel to launch you know a shared universe for DC yes but I don't think it was gonna be as fast as they did it they clearly brought Batman into it because they saw the box office results for Man of Steel and they're like, not great. It's not terrible though. And it's like, we've already invested so much into the Superman character. Like we can't just let it go. So let's get Batman to help him out. And hopefully that BBS now will be the launching point for our, you know, our shared universe. But Mm -hmm. I think in a perfect world, like if this movie hit and it wasn't as divisive as it was, I think you get a traditional Man of Steel too. And man, I really would have liked to have seen what that was. I, I really would have liked to have seen like a just a Henry Cavill trilogy. You know, what you know, what would have Lex Luthor been in just the straight up Man of Steel sequel? You know, we'll never know. Um, so even as a defender of BBS, like it, it is disappointing that we never just got that true Man of Steel 2 sequel. So, you know, it's 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 a bummer. It's a bummer. Yeah. But it's also somehow very fitting given like Superman's cinematic journey. He's had so many like stops and starts, reboots and sequels, like in development hell, like at so many different stages. Like I think JJ Abrams has been attached to like produce a Superman movie like at least four times. Like it, like it's it's unfortunately the standard for like Superman movies to not get made until exactly all the stars are aligned. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, even though I'm not quite as high on this movie as Dan, as I would agree, like it is, you know, disappointing. I mean, it, it would have been, um, you know, it, it would have been exciting to see what Henry Cavill could have done with him being more of the focus. Because once again, BVS, not a true Superman movie. He's very much, I think, second fiddle to Batman on that. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, but like as far as one of the defenders of BVS, like, I mean, look, I would have, have rather have seen a Man of Steel, too. But, you know, one of the things I give BVS credit for is, you know, they address a lot of the aftermath of Man of Steel. So it's not like, you know, it is. But I can still say it is a sequel. But I mean, Josh is right. Like, obviously, the 
in, you know, they they want to they want to advertise the new Batman. I mean, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And it was more about that. And so there's no denying that. Right. So I, I guess let's just close with this. So we know that we're going to get some sort of young Superman movie that James Gunn has promised. Um, how do they bring people back to Superman when in a lot of people's minds, we have not had a good Superman movie in like 42 years, uh, discounting yeah. the, uh, the 2006 uh, Richard uh, Donner cut, which is basically the same movie as Superman 2. It's how like, do we bring people back? Ba- I mean, Batman, right. It's like, you know, he definitely has not had the luck that Batman has had. I mean, that's for sure. Where Batman has, you know, multiple universally liked movies. But yeah, you're right. If you really think about it, the last universally praised Superman movie was Superman two. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, and as Josh has mentioned, like it's, you know, he's had a lot of, you know, starts and stops and it's going to be tough, but I'll just say for me, like I, I completely trust James Gunn, especially after seeing guardians of the galaxy three, like, as you know, as people have heard me on the site before, like, you know, I'm typically a Marvel naysayer, but I've always said that the Guardians movies are like the one corner of the universe that I really, really like. Um, and he was able, in my opinion, to deliver three great Guardians movies. And I think, you know, I think what you're going to get with this, I think why James Gunn is a good person to do this. And I'm, I'm confident it's going to be successful. I think it's going to hit. But I, for me, James Gunn is certainly going to bring more of a humor and lightheartedness to the character. It's definitely going to be, you know, more of a wonky Superman that we're probably used to, like, that's for sure. But, but I think where Gunn is really smart is that he still knows that there is a substance to the character, and I think he's going to be smart enough to also bring that in. Like, it's also still going to be, in in some ways, I think a very traditional Superman epic with his sense of style, though. And so I think that's why it's going to bring people, and I think people just, because they really like Guardians 3, I think people are going to be confident in him. And we'll see where it all goes. Um, but yeah, but that's why, you know, I think, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm optimistic that he can bring people back in to see his version of Superman. I'm very, very curious to see where it goes. Aaron, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with Dan that having seen Guardians 3, um, which I was not that hyped to see and ended up really liking, um, uh, I does... Uh, you know, give me some more confidence. And um, I, I said this in our uh, our roundup for the uh, the new DCU. Um, I said that listen, if there's a Superman movie in theaters, I'll see it. Uh, you know, am I necessarily going to be on board with their new take? Maybe not, but I'll at least be there to you know watch it. Yeah, and. I will just, being true to my Marvel roots, say I think if they want to have a model for how to get people to come back, I think they need to look at the Captain America from MCU. Right, I think- but full disclosure, Dan, I think for a time Superman was Josh was favorite superhero. Now it's Captain America, and he's going to tell us why. Oh, no, no, I mean... Batman and, and Cap are both up there. I, I, I have a hard time picking favorites. No, but I, I think the reason why I think they should look to Chris Evans' Captain America is because, for me, that nails the perfect balance of the earnestness that you want from, you know, these, these classic Golden Age characters and the 
update into more realism. Like, like it's, it's a very fine line, but I think that's the example they should look towards. Not that, you know, they need to make it, you know, a, a team up movie or like a conspiracy, like winter soldier, but like trying to find that balance, I think is the key. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that. I just look and gun. No, he knows this. He knows this, that you can't just recycle one of these Superman takes. Okay. He can't just do, you know, um, the very traditional, you know, kind of like Smallville, Christopher Reeve, Superman. He also knows he can't do, obviously, the Henry Cavill Superman. He's got to it's got to be some kind of new interpretation, but still be true to who the character is. And Josh is exactly right. It's finding that balance. I mean, look, again, like with Batman, I think the reason why Batman has succeeded in multiple interpretations is because. You know, the Bale Batman is very different from the Keaton Batman and Pattinson Batman is very different from the Keaton Bale Batman. Um, and that's why they've worked over the years. Um, it's, you know, it's got to be true to his vision. And you're right. It's finding the right balance of who this new Superman is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's that's all true. You, you look for inspiration, but don't, you know, copy, you know, your friend's homework. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Superman would never. Right. Uh, but I want to thank you both for coming on to this podcast. Uh, you know, as I said, this was a, you know, a long time in the making. Um, I just want to, you know, ask you guys, you have anything to plug? Uh, Dan, I, I know we mentioned your podcast. Absolutely. Yep. You can uh, you can find uh, the Batman by the numbers podcast on the pop break today feed. Uh, it's a once a month podcast. Uh, it's all about Batman, obviously. Uh, we do a lot of rankings episodes, uh, a lot of news items, and it's also sort of like a DC kind of podcast too. So, you know, we're later this month, uh, we will be doing a review of The Flash. So a movie that, you know, I feel like has, I've probably made this joke a hundred times already, but a movie I feel like that has been in production for, you know, like a hundred years now. Um, it is actually going to happen. We are actually going to see this movie. I can't even believe it. We'll be good. I don't know. I really mm-hmm. don't know, but we're going to find out soon enough. So very excited to talk about that. Uh, yep. So Batman by the numbers once a month. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at D Cohen writer again, uh, D Cohen writer on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, they can also check out from a few months ago. Um, you wrote a, uh, a, a nice review of Babylon, uh, which uh, you said was great, but recommend to no one. Uh, <laughs> Josh, uh, just to, uh, to clue you in, I, I, this is a movie that I saw with a friend, and uh, later he said that it was a uh, satanic version of Singing in the Rain. So just to scare <laughs> that's, you. That's a great description. Yep. Scare you away from it. <laughs> okay, I will not be watching that anytime soon. Thank you. <laughs> um okay and if people want to find my work so um they can find me on the tv break podcast with our editor-in-chief bill and podcaster alex um where every month we talk about the ins and outs of tv although last month i was not around and aaron was so kind to fill in for me so aaron thank you for that Mm -hmm. um and people can also find uh, my work on the couch potato column haven't written one too recently last one i wrote was a farewell to ash ketchum and pikachu as they rode up into the sunset. And uh, yeah, nothing more. What a transition going from satanic singing in the rain to Ash Ketchum and Pikachu. What a right. what a world. Um, Aaron, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, so I, I, it's been a few months since I've written something for the site, but you know, uh, if you want to check that out, um, I'm here on thepopbreak.com, uh, always planning stuff for our, our next podcast. Uh, I'm on at Aaron Sarnecki uh, on Twitter, where I usually just talk about movies that I've watched. Um, I recently made like 
a passing tweet about Primal Fear that I think Bill liked, uh, another 90s legal thriller that Josh is probably never going to watch because it's too dark and depressing. Never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, thank you both for coming on the podcast. Josh, you have some final words? Yeah, just once again, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on and, and definitely um, recommend that people check out your Batman by the Numbers podcast. And other than that, everyone, thank you for listening. Make sure to come back next time. And remember, it's not an S. It stands for O.